Okay, we have a lot to get to, and I'm so excited to return to my first toy show in eight months. Eight months! If you're a collector, it's almost unfathomable to imagine waiting that long to hunt for toys and to hang out with other collectors again. This is a look at the Friday night setup at a local and large toy show. This is a celebration of Saturday's show, the finds, friends, and food that come with an adventure like this. This is the hope that life as we remember it, as we knew it, is slowly coming back. This is part two of the Weekend at ToyCon NJ series. And this is Star Wars Prototypes and Production. Until the quarantine, ToyCon NJ always took place at the Police Athletic League in Parsippany, another northern New Jersey town. But once COVID restrictions were established for shows, ToyCon moved directly across the street from the Wayne Firehouse to its larger Police Athletic League building. And although it had been eight months since my last visit, when I pulled into the parking lot, it felt as if I had been there only the week before. Due to traffic, I had arrived about a half hour later than expected, and the parking lot was already pretty full. Small groups of dealers were standing next to the open trunks of their cars, chatting and catching up with one another. Some pushed metal carts stacked with totes of toys up onto the sidewalk and through the electronic sliding doors, as those with emptied carts returned to their vehicles for another load. The foliage around the parking lot was so much fuller than I remembered it. In the fall, many of the trees had already turned and were starting to shed their leaves. But now, around the lot and across the street, as far as one could see, were natural areas bursting with greenery. I parked my car and sat in the quiet for a moment. I prayed for those who would be setting up, and for the safety of those attending and vending for the weekend. I thanked God for the opportunity to be out again, to be among friends again, and to be doing the things that felt normal. Heading inside, I made my way through the soft, blue-walled hallway and entered the brightly lit gymnasium. The ceiling towered above me, anchored by the illuminated structures hanging from it. And at the moment, the show looked more like a rough sketch, as the majority of the tables set up were empty. The tables were lined up end-to-end, snaking the length of the room, turning a sharp 90-degree corner, and then another corner to head back down to the other end. The spaces in between the rows of tables became the aisles to traverse, 
and a few areas were currently blocked by carts and bins, displays and boxes, and overflowing tubs leaking toys. I could feel myself stretching in three different directions. I wanted to find Pete, to see what he needed, but more importantly, just to see him in person again. I also wanted to see who else showed up for setup. And finally, I wanted to see what items everyone brought to sell. I tried to do a little of everything as I scanned the room for Pete. Unlike me, he did not hit any traffic coming down from New York, and had managed to bring in and set up most of his table. But while I was able to locate his setup, he was nowhere to be found. So I walked to the end of the gymnasium, crossing over to the larger one. There was a 15-degree difference between the two rooms, and you could hear the sound of the air conditioning humming through the vents overhead. The larger gym was the true length of a professional basketball court, with the arms holding the baskets and backboards folded back toward the ceiling. This evening's setup was much emptier than the October show. While dealers were still coming in, both gyms would be no more than 30-40% to full by the end of the night. A number of the vendors were setting up in the same spots they had at the last Toy-Con, and although they brought new items to sell, it was nice to see familiar faces once again. Finally, I located Pete. He was in the middle of a lap around the outside aisle, briskly scanning each table as vendors unpacked more items. I raced to catch up to him, and by the time I did, he was heading through the door back into the hotter gymnasium. His setup, as usual, was pristine, and contained an incredible assortment of figures, spanning the last three or four decades of toy lines. Pete had two rectangular locked cases on his table. The first was filled with loose vintage Star Wars figures. He had a rare gray-head Yoda, complete Luke Jedi figures, and the Ewoks and most of the figures from the 1985 Power of the Force series. It was nice to see an Imperial Gunner, a Luke Stormtrooper, a Warrock, a Ramba, and a few Boba Fetts all together. And that was just a tiny portion of his loose offerings. The second case had a few brightly painted South American Thundercats party favors, and a few rows of carded vintage Star Wars figures. Under his table were two Episode One displays from the now-extinct KB Toys store. And next to his table were two larger displays, one for the Masters of the Universe series from the early aughts, and an original 1995 Power of the Force 2 full store display with the Darth Vader helmet header. As Pete arranged these and many, many more items around the shelves and table, he and I talked about the show, and what we expected for tomorrow. He brought an original vintage Star Wars drawing from one of the activity books for me and I was so happy to add it to my collection. But it was just nice to stand next to my friend again and to talk collecting. Pete is one of the hardest working people I know. He recently started a new job as a financial advisor with the firm Edward Jones, and the work he did to land the position and to establish himself has been nothing short of remarkable. He has been wildly successful in acquiring and dealing toys for the past few decades, and that success has carried over to his own finances and investments as well. Through the years, Pete has found, sold, and collected some incredible and storied pieces. 
He's picked up authentic rocket-firing Boba Fett prototypes and original 2D and 3D art and pre-production pieces for lines ranging from Star Wars to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles to Mask, He-Man, and Thundercats. And so, if you're looking for specific toys or would like financial guidance for your future so you could buy all the toys your heart desires, feel free to reach out to him. He's Peter LaRose on Facebook, and I know he will do everything he can to make your life, your collection, and your finances a little richer. Pete is also a New Kids on the Block fan. Hey, we all have our flaws, right? Actually, Pete's one of the nicest people I know, and I've learned so many lessons on how to be a better friend from him. The energy in the room was lacking a bit, and to jumpstart the momentum and to celebrate the amount of vintage toys being unloaded, he played a song by the band called 80s Baby, with cameos by Debbie Gibson and, well, I'll let Pete tell you the rest. Morning by Nature, Salt and Pepper, and uh, Tiffany. As I was helping Pete set up a display, I was shocked to see another friend setting up a day earlier than expected. Ryan, who goes by Humble Hoarder on eBay, and someone who's been on the podcast numerous times, had what looked like an estate sale's worth of collectibles scattered and stacked in front of his tables. Ryan originally planned on setting up on Saturday morning, as the show was a distance from where he lives. He smiled and nodded, and I knew in that moment that, like the rest of us, he had to be there with us. He sauntered over to Pete's table, and we greeted each other with an elbow bump. Ryan was clearly tired from carting in all of his wares, but his eyes flashed with the devilish excitement of a child in a toy store. He explained that he woke up that morning, talked himself into booking an extra day at a nearby hotel, loaded everything into his truck in the early afternoon, and headed to New Jersey. During quarantine, Ryan and I had spent countless hours discussing our eBay, toy show, and flea market finds, and discussing the hobby in general. But it was so good to finally see him in person again. We walked over to his table, where he showed me a carded Star Wars 12-back A Leia he had purchased. The 12-back A's were the first releases in stores from Kenner. And this Leia was not only in beautiful condition, but was a rarer Taiwan version as well. Ryan had very little set up at his table at that point, but I could see some teases of what was to come. He had a stack of larger strawberry shortcake images and signs arranged by height against one of the legs of his first table. On the lower shelf where the Leia sat was a grouping of other vintage carded Star Wars figures some from the droids and Ewoks lines, as well as a few Power of the Force carded examples. In a small display case with a glass front, I could make out the distinct greens of the Duloks from the Ewoks series, and Ryan had a number of loose Luke Skywalker figures that appeared to be in fantastic condition. He had set an open factory case of Kenner's starting line of toys under the left corner on the front of his table. 
We talked as he unearthed more vintage pieces from his assortment of faded gray bins, and I watched as he arranged the collectibles along his shelves with the casual concentration of someone who had done this many times. Although he's known for his loose vintage Star Wars figures, Ryan brings so many types of toys, and from so many lines, to a show. I told him I'd let him finish setting up, and that I would check back with him later. I went for another walk around the venue to see how some of the other tables were coming together. So it's about 5 o'clock, and uh, we're just starting out. Uh, There are very few people here so far who are setting up. It's still really early. I think a lot of people come after work. Uh, so more like maybe six, seven o'clock. Um, we have to wear masks. Masks are mandatory. Uh, so everyone's voices will sound probably pretty muffled. But um, the stuff that's here is pretty interesting so far. Uh, a lot more modern than vintage right now uh, for Star Wars. But it's exciting. A little after six o'clock, Pete and I decided to take a break from the show and have dinner. In the back of the larger gymnasium is an entrance into a hallway that contains a food stand. The food stand is a double counter positioned in between the large cafeteria that was currently empty and this hallway, which had a few small dining tables in front of it. With a little league field outside the door, the area was perfect for ordering food, and yet the person behind the counter was also able to take orders from anyone inside the cafeteria as well. Pete and I ordered hamburgers and fries and sat down at one of the tables. Rob Bruce, a longtime dealer and friend, approached the counter to order dinner and asked if he could join us at our table. You may know Rob from the AMC show Comic Book Men, or from his many appearances at toy shows and conventions around the country. I've known Rob for about a decade, and he was one of the first people to help me add special pieces to my Star Wars collection. Every month, Rob would set up at the Wayne Toy Show, and he always had an outstanding array of toys, ranging six decades or more. And Rob had acquired an encyclopedia of factoids and knowledge about them, long before the information was made available to the public on collecting websites and on social media. But those Sunday mornings, I would stand around Rob's booth, and we'd chat about collecting. But I'd often stand back and listen to him explain the history of a wartime toy, or divulge details about the different creatures in the Japanese Godzilla toy lines. Rob told us his son was becoming a graphic designer, and as we sat and ate, he shared some of his son's animated videos with us. It was really a special moment. For one, it had been far too long since we've spent time together. But to see him beam as a proud parent over the creativity and talent of his son really touched me. The show floor is often hectic. The crowds begin to swell quickly, and the pace can become distracting and frenetic. And having a quiet and deeper conversation can be a challenge. But here, sitting in this hallway with no one else around, as Rob switched between wearing his mask and taking it off in between bites, we were able to fill each other in on the events of the past eight months since we were together at the last fall show. Pete told us about the new house he's having built, and about the wonderful parts and frustrating parts that come with an enormous project like that. Rob remembered meeting my mother at a toy show years ago, and asked how she was doing which meant so much to me. 
I remember the first time I introduced her to him. He had been such an integral part of my early collecting years and was like a mentor to me. And every time he saw her after that, he was always pleasant and gracious toward her. I shared a little about how Rob and I met in episode 39, but Rob made me feel like I was part of the group during those early years at the Wayne Toy Show. I remember talking with him and Paul Chu at his table and learning from them as they would discuss a certain Star Wars figure or an international release. For me, sitting back and absorbing these conversations helped me to get a better understanding of the Star Wars line. And as a collector, knowledge is so important. Rob had also helped me with many of the early pieces of my collection. He had not only put aside some fantastic carded vintage figures for me when I would attend the Wayne shows, but would offer them to me at prices that went far beyond fair. And I will truly never forget that. And to be in the company of Pete and Rob, and to hear them exchange stories from years and decades past about shows and collecting, was a special moment. It was one of the first times during the year that I felt like things were back to normal again. And after a rougher winter and early spring, I really needed that. After dinner, Ryan and I left set up for a bit and walked outside to his truck. Ryan is a vegan and brought his dinner with him. He and I carried with us the gray bins he had emptied earlier, and I helped him load them into the trunk of his pickup. As he fastened them in with straps, he and I talked about setup. It was a quieter affair than either of us had expected, and I mentioned my surprise at how empty most of the tables were. He pulled out a cooler containing some vegan pizzas he made before he left for New Jersey, and some fresh organic strawberries. As he ate, we talked about how the prices of vintage Star Wars collectibles had skyrocketed recently. And not just action figures, but trading cards and other mementos from that initial era as well. The intensity of the sun was beginning to fade. Birds chirped around us as we talked, and the occasional breeze moved the trees that towered over the cars and lined the parking lot. After eight months of being home and not being in the company of others, a massive, bustling gathering like set up for the toy show was a sensory overload at times. And sitting outside where the only noises were of nature and not of tables being moved or bins being unloaded was a welcome change of pace. Plus, I knew what the next day would bring, once the show would officially open. Over the years, I've come to know two sides of Ryan. There is the one we see at toy shows, where he loves to sit and talk about Star Wars toys and other collectibles for hours. Where he scales the aisles as early as possible in search of a good find, and how he always manages to stumble across pieces later into the shows as well. And then there's the unplugged side of Ryan. Someone who loves to explore nature and go on hikes deep into areas where few ever explore. 
Ryan appreciates both the frenetic pace of a busy show and the self-discovery that comes with removing yourself from the world and heading out into the quiet. It's like his soul needs each one at different times, and I truly understand and appreciate that. Ryan finished the last of his strawberries, washed his hands, and secured the last few items in the front seat of his truck. Heading back inside, we discussed which items he'd be taking back to his hotel room for the night, and what time each of us planned on arriving the next morning. I decided to do a few more laps around the show floors to make sure I didn't miss any newer setups while I was at dinner and outside. I ran into Dennis Ciccolero and Ryan Bauer, two longtime friends who have been hunting toys for years together. Dennis and Ryan have had some of the most amazing finds, and they shared their latest pickup, which left me literally speechless. I asked them if they found anything during setup, and they opened the bags they were holding to show me what they had purchased. Dennis and Ryan work really well together because each is knowledgeable in different areas of collecting. Ryan knows about obscure lines and knockoff toys better than almost anyone I know, and Dennis's expertise lies in toys and comic books. Together, they are a database of information about collectibles, and it's always fun to speak with them. I feel like I always come away with a greater appreciation for toys, especially when it comes to the lines with which I'm less familiar. At that point, the remaining dealers began to cover their tables for the night with sheets and packed up whatever was around them. I looked at my phone and couldn't believe it was 8 o'clock already. I made my way to Pete's table and we walked out together. Pete was exhausted and was ready to drive back home for a good night's sleep. After all, 6 a.m. comes around pretty quickly between setup and the show, and Saturday was going to be a long and busy day. I said goodbye to Pete and watched his SUV pull out of the parking lot and trail off down the winding road. I stood there by myself for a minute or two as the sunlight faded around me. The past eight months had been really tough at times, and this show had been a beacon. Something to look forward to as the world worked to reorient itself. And as I've mentioned, the moments at the shows themselves often fly by at speeds that can make memories from them feel like blurs that fade in and out of focus. I wanted to pause everything for a second and stand in the quiet of the parking lot and take it all in to realize where I had been that day, the months it took to get there, and the blessings that came with and from an event like this. I took mental snapshots of the Police Athletic League building, the pattern of trees that surrounded me, what the sky looked like, and what the air felt like against my skin. That nighttime weather of the almost summer that feels perfect and forever will be remembered that way. If you want to stand out here with me for a little longer, I don't mind. It's amazing how much we've taken for granted over the years. It's good to live in the moment, but to also remember to put a piece of those moments in our pockets and to carry them with us. They come in handy when we're going through those challenging seasons. 
Listen to those beautiful birds. What a night it is to be alive. Saturday. I will never get used to that sound. You would think that after 15 years of waking up at 5 a.m. to trek into New York City for work, it would get a little easier to rise this early, often ahead of the sun. But as a night person, it's always been difficult. Instinctively, my hand found the off switch on the alarm. It was still dark. I decided to give myself a few more minutes in bed, and lying on my back as not to fall asleep again, my mind switched on and played a highlight reel of events from the previous day. Friday night's setup wasn't bad by any means, but it hadn't been as eventful and as exciting as I expected. But that was due to the eight-month coiled spring of anticipation, not to the show itself. After all, Friday night was merely a setup for the show. Only 30 to 40% of the dealers showed up to prepare their tables. It was a dress rehearsal, a quick walkthrough in which a third of the cast breezily went over their marks and their lines, with no audience, no lighting, no music. The real performance was today. I sat up in bed, the covers mashed around me like a topography map gone awry. Yesterday was the warm-up. Today would be the first time I would see most of my friends in a year. Faint rays of sunlight began to enter the room, illuminating more of the furniture lining the walls. The chance to shop at a toy show again was a few hours away. To see Jay, one of my oldest friends, who joined me in those drives up to the Wayne Toy Show almost a decade ago, and to walk through a show with him again. To spend more time with Pete and Ryan and Ross Barr and all the others who had purchased tables for the weekend. To connect with the members of the Empire State Star Wars Collectors Club, my club, and to go out for a well-needed lunch with everyone in the middle of the day. To attend a toy show again. And with that thought, I was fully awake and alert. I jumped out of bed and prepared for the day. After eating breakfast and showering, I put on a navy blue long-sleeve shirt and a pair of navy shorts. I pulled a woven bracelet out of my valet box and wrapped it around my wrist. It was a mix of fire truck red and the navy that matched my clothes, and I hadn't worn it since the pandemic began. For me, it just felt right again, like I was finally picking up where I had left off. I got into my car shortly after 6 o'clock and, setting the GPS again, pulled out of the driveway and exited my development. There was far less traffic on the road for this trip. I love riding out to a show on a Saturday morning, watching the world around me get brighter as the sun rises higher into the sky. 
those first few minutes are always the most calming ones. And traveling down one of the local roads, I'm usually the only car on it until I get to the highway. Yesterday's trips to the show and back home made me feel a little uneasy at times. I simply was rusty and had not taken a long car ride like that, especially in rush hour traffic, in months. But Saturday morning felt different. I felt like I was back into my normal rhythm again. I soon merged onto the Garden State Parkway and headed north. The closer I got to Wayne, the heavier the traffic became, and the cars around me darted in between lanes like bees in a colony. The exit for Wayne came up on my left, and after taking it and driving a few more miles, I followed the red signs with the words Toy and Collectibles Show in yellow until I reached the Wayne Police Athletic League building. The home to ToyCon NJ for an entire weekend. I arrived around 7.30, and most of the long, narrow parking lot was filled already. There were many more cars than there were only 12 hours earlier when I had left setup. But the biggest surprise was the line for the early bird admission attendees. Although an early bird ticket permitted them to hunt inside an hour earlier than the general admission, there was still an hour and a half to go before they would be let in, and the line already snaked around the left side of the building. I smiled at the scene. The question with any show is, will people attend? After all, a promoter's job is to get collectors interested. Whether it is with a novel idea, talent and celebrity guests, the number of tables and vendors, or the types of collectibles that will be available. But that's where it ends. The rest is left to hope. You can only hope that your message and your advertising not only reach collectors, but that they will actually show up for the event. I think the pent-up demand for a larger toy show like this rang in collectors' ears for weeks. And to see people willing to find a place in line and to wait for the doors to open was a sign that the show would indeed be a lively one. I left my car running for a moment after I pulled into a parking spot. As the air conditioning hummed through the vents, I closed my eyes for a moment, bowed my head, and once again thanked the Lord for granting me another day like this. I asked that the day would be a blessing for all who attended, and that it would draw families, friends, and strangers closer together. I asked Him to protect those who were coming in from many towns and states, that they'd all arrive safely and would return home safely as well. And finally, I ended with my usual request, that there would be at least one or two surprises at the show for me and for others. However, if this wasn't the case for me for this show, I realized I wouldn't mind at all. Just being there on that morning, in the midst of the hobby I enjoy and around the people I love, was honestly all I needed. I turned off my GPS in my car grabbed an extra bottle of water and the backpack that had been with me for every show for the past four years, and draping my show badge around my neck, I headed inside. 
Walking back in was a strange feeling. It was like I hadn't left the premises the night before, just stepped outside for a long break. But at the same time, the energy and atmosphere had changed. Friday's setup had felt a little anemic, and again, I blame my anticipation and sky-high expectations rather than anything that was happening at the show. But now, the hallways were fluttering with activity, and I was dodging vendors bringing in last-minute items on carts and hand trucks. Pete and Ryan had arrived before me and were already shopping the show. The only item that caught my interest the night before was a mint Power of the Force EV99 figure on a card with a cracked bubble. The price was almost too good to pass up, but the vendor told me he would not sell anything until the show opened. He's the only dealer I've ever seen do that, and while he was a little brusque during our conversation, I respected his stance. Most dealers want to rack up sales. That's why they set up at shows like this. And if someone is willing to pay the asking price for an item, they'll sell it whether it's at the show, the night before, or even in the parking lot. And his insistence in waiting until the show opened before selling the EV99 gave me time to think about the purchase, and to ultimately decline pursuing it. As much as I would want a mint EV99, I would never remove it from the card. And the chipped bubble, opened enough to be visibly cracked but still sealed to keep the figure in pristine condition, would forever annoy me. I'd never really be happy with it. And while the price was fair, it was still a lot of money and likely better spent on something else. Maybe it was just me, but the show was kinetic. I walked up and down each aisle in the smaller gymnasium first. At the entrance was a U-shaped wall of very recent releases, spanning everything from the Star Wars Black Series offerings to some of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and G.I. Joe six-inch figures. Another table had video game cartridges from the 1990s and early 2000s, as well as Marvel and DC Comics figures, sealed in their original boxes and stacked on shelves and on hangers. While I didn't see anything I collected, I decided to return once the vendor had finished setting up, so I wouldn't miss anything. Farther down the row was another good friend of mine, Art Lou. Art is from the Rochester, New York area, and is known within the skateboard world for the 80s shop Samurai Skates. He also drives more than five hours to set up at a show like this, and he does a few New Jersey shows each year. In addition to being one of the nicest guys at any toy show, Art usually has the best vintage Star Wars toys as well. And this Toy-Con NJ was no exception. Against white display grates leaning on a diagonal were AFA-graded carded figures like an Empire Strikes Back Forlom and a 48-back TIE Fighter pilot. In addition to the domestic Kenner figures, Art also brought a lot of international and tri-logo pieces coveted by collectors. Among a row of tri-logo figures, he had a beautiful tri-logo stormtrooper with a large but crisp bubble. On one of the overhead racks above his table sat a Canadian Millennium Falcon in the box. A wooden edge display case was perched on the table directly in front of him. It contained an impressive assortment of ungraded carded Star Wars figures, with figures from The Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, and Power of the Force. In the identical case next to it were Art's loose figures. However, 
this collection is unlike anything you'd see at a typical toy show. Art has been buying figures since the early 1990s and focuses on the rare and desirable ones. Do you need four droid C-3PO's, all in mint condition? Or something like ten pristine yak faces? How about a few graded Power of the Force loose figures, like a Luke Stormtrooper, an Imperial Gunner, two Amanamans, a few Lando Generals, and an A-Wing pilot or two? And don't forget the R2-D2 with the pop-up lightsaber figures. He always has a few of them as well. What Art usually brings is the equivalent of a vintage collector's dream find. Row after row of all the hard-to-find figures, complete with their accessories and in display-worthy condition. And just seeing the sheer numbers he has of each figure will leave most attendees speechless. For most of us, it's something we rarely see, especially in person. And for Art, it's just another Saturday toy show. If you're looking for rare vintage Star Wars collectibles, or would like to purchase a Samurai Skate shirt, you'll find Art at Arthur Liu, that's L-E-W, on Facebook. He's a wonderful guy, and he'd be happy to help you out. So shortly after leaving Art's table, I ran into another dear friend, Al Torello. Al and I met a few years ago at the Wayne Toy Show, and have gone on some wonderful Star Wars-related adventures together, most notably to Celebration Orlando in 2017 and Celebration Chicago in 2019. Al loves to hunt for Star Wars items at toy shows, flea markets, and estate sales, and has had some incredible finds over the years. The last time we hung out in person was at the previous ToyCon in the fall. And before he had left for the day, he and I had lunch together in the cafeteria and caught each other up on our experiences during quarantine. I was so thankful to have had that time with my friend, because we really didn't know when we'd see each other again. But being back in a familiar gymnasium, among those who share the same love for Star Wars and collecting, was a true blessing. Al and I talked as we toured the rest of the room, scanning shelves and bins, and we were back in our old rhythm again. Something would catch his eye, and he'd move across the aisle to check it out, motioning over to me if it was something worth discussing. Eventually, we made our way into the larger gymnasium, Al and I walked around for a while, and then we split up for a bit as I walked around by myself. As I made my way back toward the gymnasium's entrance, I stopped at a booth to look at some vintage loose figures. Al found me and asked me to come over to a nearby table to look at a few items. Ryan was standing beside a table I had passed only a few minutes earlier, but now he and Al were going through a newly uncovered bin of loose Star Wars figures. Some of them, like the Jedi Luke, were in fantastic shape, and I was angry with myself for not going through the vendor's selection more carefully. I asked Al where they found those figures, and he told me the older gentleman did not have them on display until Ryan asked about them. So the three of us were the first ones to look at them that morning. At a show, it's never about being in the show the earliest. Sure, that can certainly help, but it really comes down to having a solid understanding about the pieces and lines you collect, and happening to be in the right place at the right time. And for the three of us, this was one of those moments. In front of Ryan were a number of clear rectangular plastic cases used to hold stacks of baseball cards. 
but in place of cards, each one contained multiple blasters and other Star Wars-related accessories. I recently did a podcast episode about the prices of droids and Ewoks accessories, and during a phone conversation with Al a few days before the show, he and I talked about the V5 Blaster and how it had skyrocketed in value over the past two months. The V5 Blaster came exclusively with the Boba Fett figures that were made in Taiwan, where the Blaster released with the Hong Kong figures were much more common. As collectors started to realize its rarity, the surge in demand for this particular blaster sent the price soaring into the $150 range. So Al, Ryan, and I used the knowledge we had accumulated over the years to try to figure out if the dealer had any of these rare V5 blasters. And out of the lot of ten, I concluded that four of them could be the V5s. In doing the research for the accessories episode, I learned that even the regular Stormtrooper blasters were now in the $20 to $35 range. And I'm never one to turn down a chance at adding some authentic accessories to my collection. Still, this was Al's find, and I was there just to help him. But Al's an incredible friend, and insisted we split the lot together. He asked the dealer if he would give us a good price on the ten pieces, and we each walked away with five of them, with a chance at a few V5s as well. And the blasters were about $8 each, which in today's market is a pretty good score. Al and Ryan went back to Art's table, and I continued through the larger gymnasium. Against the wall separating the two rooms was a table I hadn't checked out earlier. The vendor was still in the process of setting up, and he placed a small black display box in an open spot on his table. Now, I'll preface this by saying that at most toy shows, you rarely, if ever, find prototypes. About two years ago, a dealer had set up at ToyCon NJ to sell off an immense amount of McFarland Toys prototypes. Spawn two-up hard copies and clay roughs, first shots of members of various rock bands like Nirvana and Kiss, and more than I can even remember. The dealer was only able to display a third of what he brought with him, and he had multiple vertical display cases filled with them. But aside from that show, the prototype offerings at most local shows are rare. However, this gentleman's small black case was filled with prototypes, ranging in size and shape, and covered a few lines and a few stages of the pre-production process. In fact, he had included a handwritten note with the case that explained what these prototypes were. The most colorful ones caught my eye. I scanned the case for any Star Wars items. He didn't have anything I collected, but he had four first shots of the Toy Biz Marvel figures from the 1990s. The dealer was a sculptor who had worked for a number of toy companies, including Toy Biz, and was involved in the creation of all of the items in the display case. And although I don't collect the Marvel figures, I had many of them growing up and loved the characters. He had Wolverine, his nemesis Sabretooth, the villain Apocalypse, and the infamous antagonist of the Spider-Man comics, Dr. Octopus. I asked him if I could see them, and he gladly pulled them out of the case, and he handed them to me. As I looked at them, he told me about his career. He pointed to the various prototypes and explained his role on each line, sharing a few stories with me. 
It's always a fascinating thing to speak with the people responsible for making the toys that we had as children and collect as adults. I couldn't pass up the four Marvel prototypes, and he gave me a very fair deal on the lot. Sadly, I never made it back to his table that day, but I hope to speak with him again and to record a conversation with him for the podcast at some point. As I returned to the smaller room, my friend Jay texted me to tell me he and his young son Zachary arrived, and were waiting in line to get in with the early bird admission at 9 o'clock. Jay and I have been to many toy shows together, and there was a time in which we attended the Wayne toy shows on a monthly basis. I've known Jay since we were in junior high school, and he is one of my oldest and dearest friends. He still collects and has introduced collecting and these events to Zachary, who usually comes away from them with more toys than we do. I headed out through the front doors to meet him outside, and to my surprise, follow the early bird line around the side of the building and along the entire length of it, where it wrapped around the back. There was still a half hour before the show would open, and I was amazed at how many people showed up early. It was a great sign, and knowing what was waiting for them inside, I had a feeling the day would be very special for many of them. Not too far away from Jay and Zachary were members of the Empire State Star Wars Collectors Club. Mark Rusciano, Brian and Sandra Emery, Chris and Steph Riley, and a handful of others were standing in a circle, talking as they waited to be let into the building. The Empire State Club is my regional club, and over the years, some of my favorite collector's moments have been with the people who make this group so meaningful. And while a few of us were able to meet up at the last ToyCon NJ in October, this would be the first official club meetup since the start of the pandemic, 15 months earlier. And with most of our meetups, a group meal was planned for lunchtime. We'd all take a break from the show and head to a local pizza place. The emotion of seeing these people in one spot and being able to stand next to them instead of speaking to them over a stuttering video stream hit me suddenly. What I had anticipated through the winter and spring was finally a reality. It was all a bit overwhelming, and I felt like I was talking too fast to them at times, but my brain was overloaded, and I was just trying to take it all in. Being inside the show sometimes has the same effect as being in a casino. Your sense of time disappears, and you can easily forget the world around you for a few hours. But stepping outside, among the throngs of people and the ones you call friends, and feeling the buzz of anticipation can supercharge you. It was a reminder to me of the reward that comes with patience, that hope always springs out of the dense soil of waiting. I gave them all a wave, wishing them well, and headed back inside. I took one more lap around the entirety of the show floor before the doors would open to the ravenous crowd. And if I sound a little muffled, remember, we're all still wearing masks at the show. So it's about 8.45, uh, 15 minutes before everyone uh, who's on the early admission line is going to start coming in. And uh, it's pretty crowded. The line is wrapped around the building. Um, everyone here is, is set up and ready to go. And there's a ton of stuff here. Um, what? Something just dropped. Uh, much different than yesterday. Um, so, just 
walking around and looking. At nine o'clock, the front doors opened, and the line of eager attendees lurched forward, with many rushing inside to avoid the morning sun. I was standing next to Ryan's table and was alerted to the noise coming from the gymnasium's entranceway. Guests filed into the room, their conversations with each other continuing and filling up the once quieter space. Many of the early bird shoppers headed to the back of the gym, past Pete, and around the final aisle to line up at the Four Horsemen Studios table. The Four Horsemen is a toy company that produces the wildly popular Mythic Legions toys, a line of six-inch action figures that combines the fantasy elements of knights and orcs with some designs inspired by He-Man characters. The sculpts are incredibly detailed and are creatively done and they are painted beautifully. Mythic Legion toys are very collectible, and a number of the figures are commanding high prices on the secondary market. And as surprising as it was in that moment to see so many collectors flock to the Four Horsemen's table, I found out later that the company had advertised the ToyCon event on its site, marking it as the largest offering of Mythic Legion items ever. After talking to some of the members of the Empire State Club at Pete's table for a while, I decided to trek back into the larger gymnasium for another lap. Okay, it's now about 9.30. People have been coming in for a while, and um, it is really bustling with activity. It's interesting. There's a ton of stuff here, uh, much more stuff than there was yesterday. It's really just nice being back at a show and just seeing people shopping and looking for stuff and hanging out again. Uh, We've had many friends from the Empire State Club show up so far, with more coming. And at that moment, I ran into my dear friend Tom Quinn, co-founder of the Empire State Star Wars Collectors Club, and Robin Bokra, my space sister. Hey! What'd you find, David? Good. Good. What'd you find? What'd you find? Uh, I don't see any bags on it. I got um, more Toy Biz prototypes. Really? Yeah, I found prototypes here. So. Nice. Yeah. Where's the other room? It's right straight through there. there. Yeah. All right. He's see- over there. Ryan's there. I try to go over And Art. We'll catch you later. Oh, I'm glad Art's here. I'll be... I'll I'll this, I'm, this is why I'm bad at shows. Oh, wait till you see what he has. You seen everything so far? So far, yeah. I got. I'm looping around. Okay, I'll, I'll lead the way. I'll walk with you. Yeah. Shortly after, Jay and his son Zachary also came by. Hey guys, how you doing? Whoa, let me see. Oh, yeah, that's really okay. War machine. I like what we Tom, this is my friend Jay. Jay, this is Tom. Hey, Jay. His son, Zach. Hey, Zach. How you doing? Good. Good. 
You having fun this morning? Yeah. This is what it's all about, man. Absolutely. All right. Doesn't get, doesn't get cooler than this. <laughs> Knowing Jay and Zach were only able to stay at the show for a very short time, I told Tom I would catch up with him in a few minutes. While Zach rifled through his father's bag to find the items he bought so far, Jay and I looked at the tables around us. So this is your second toy show, or your toy, uh, toy con New Jersey, right? Yeah. Oh, you got wow, Black Panther? Yeah. Whoa. I love the purple on him. That's really cool. He's cleaning up. Look at this. Not doing bad, yeah. Good thing I brought my bag to carry his stuff. He's finding more than Daddy right now. That's cool. Yeah, Daddy, I got it. No, no, I got it. I got it. Thanks, so. though. That's cool. Where's Pete's table? Uh, you go... I can oh, show you. Where's it? Yeah. I'll get in there. It's hot in there, too. Because everybody's lined up in there. Yeah, what they did is they opened the door uh, to the outside and they they pulled oh, them on that way. They were lined up inside. You know what, Jay? I love, I love this line so much. I think we grew up with it. Yeah. Just love that stuff. Hi, right, how are you? Hi, how are you doing? Any questions? No, just hanging out with here. Got a nice crowd, man. Holy moly, I can't believe it's uh, uh, uh set of I'm gonna take another lap. I'll be back. Yeah, I'll catch up. Okay. I caught up with Tom again, and I directed him toward a table that had a bag of vintage Star Wars cardbacks. Tom collects cardbacks, and I thought he would like a few of the ones the dealer was offering. He thumbed through the stack of colorful cardboard images and pulled a Death Squad Commander and the Empire Strikes Back 31B Luke Bespin card with the original photo. Kenner later changed the photo from a shot of Luke walking to a close-up of our Jedi in training, and the original card back is one that is sought out by collectors. I was going to purchase it when I came across it earlier, but I left it for Tom to find, hoping he would need it for his collection. But Tom surprised me, and after buying it and the commander, he handed me the Luke card back, telling me it was a memento of the event. Tom's kindness and generosity is infectious, and I always find it fun to repay him and many of our other friends in creative ways. We headed across the aisle to visit Mike, a dealer who has been setting up at shows and hunting toys for decades. Tom and I share a love for the Disney parks, and Mike had corkboards covered in pins from Disney World and Disneyland. See, this is the crack, David. Oh, yeah. This is the crack right here. This is where things get interesting. Yeah. Okay, are there any that you're looking for? I flipped for? 
of the first three here. Did you? Oh my gosh, okay. Looking for anything in particular? No, no, I don't it's even. Just whatever catches your eye. First year you went, right? Oh, look at that. That's, Isn't that beautiful? That's awesome. That's awesome. Do you have some of these? I do. I started just doing the ones around back two. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, okay, game on. That's an addiction. Yeah. That's look a, at that pin. That's great. That's great. Yeah. I can see where this could definitely yeah, become an addiction. Yeah, it's a rabbit hole. And they never stop. No. No? That's cool. Do you know how this is working, right? Hello. $15 book, $15 book. Okay. These are $10 books. The $10 okay. are three for 10, uh, three for 25. Okay. okay. Thank you. These $10 pins over there too, they're three for 25 also. Oh, oh fantastic. I didn't, I didn't even see yeah. that. I know, that's oh, why boy. I'm On the other side of that, oh, are $5 pins, five for 20. Okay. On the fourth I gotta, I gotta yeah, look at these. Yeah, let's go take a look. <laughs> In planning for the meetup at the event, the Empire State Club had arranged to take a break around 1 o'clock for lunch at a nearby Italian restaurant. But after being at the show for a few hours, most of us agreed that 1 o'clock was a little too long to wait to eat. So Chris and Steph Riley made reservations for our group, and the restaurant was gracious enough to set up a large row of tables outside for us. Approximately 25 to 30 members headed over to the restaurant shortly after noon. I asked two of my friends how long they expected we'd be at the restaurant, and without missing a beat, they both replied, about three hours. I laughed, thinking they were joking. But they were exactly right. In trying to gauge our time away from the show and at lunch, I was focused on the actual eating segment of our restaurant trip. Order food, food comes, we eat, we leave. But this really was a meetup, a time to sit next to one another, to have nowhere to rush to and to be in the company of each other, and to catch up on what had been a lost year with virtually no in-person events. I met up with Robin and our friend F.J. DiRobertis, who had attended his first club meetup only a year before. The rest of the members of the club were gathered in the hallway by the rear entrance to the gym and we joined them before leaving for the restaurant. Robin had purchased a boxed foreign Millennium Falcon from Art, and I offered to carry it to her car. I'm parked in the back, she said, handing me the box and grabbing the rest of her belongings. FJ and I figured she was parked a few feet from the rear entrance of the building, but quickly realized how wrong we were. Robin had literally taken one of the last spots down the street, as far as a person could park. And it really wasn't much of a surprise, though, given how many people came to the show and how fast parking in the front and sides of the building filled up. Along the way to her car, we ran into Dan Wu, another Empire State Club member. 
Dan and I had become friends over the past year or two, and we really got to know one another on the Zoom chats and virtual hangouts during the quarantine. We talk about life, stocks, and Star Wars, and Dan has become such an integral part of the club. He kindly provides us with daily news about Hasbro's upcoming releases, and his enthusiasm for collecting and the collecting community makes our club even more exciting. He arrived at his car and told us he'd see us at the restaurant. Robin, FJ, and I walked a little farther until we reached Robin's car. She suggested we ride with her to the restaurant, as it had very little parking. Plus, we wouldn't have to give up our spots in the front of the building. As we drove around the building, we were shocked to see a line of people waiting to get in that was almost as long as the one to get in when the show first opened. And while the show had a capacity limit due to some of the restrictions still in place from the past few months, regulations had relaxed severely. This line that we were seeing, this group of faces and herds of people, some in costumes, most laughing and talking with those around them, that was more the result of a pent-up demand to return to a toy show than any capacity restrictions in place. That line would continue like that for almost the entire day. I've never seen anything like it before for a local toy show. Riding with Robin is fun. We always laugh as she's one of the funniest people I know. It's an adventure. We almost died three times on the way there. But we arrived to the restaurant. In one piece... Somehow. The restaurant was a small two-story building with a yellow facade and light brown dividers at the top of each floor. Windows covered most of the first floor, lining up tightly against one another like soldiers in formation. A green-tipped arch shade covered a third of each window, and right above them and below the brown divider was a white sign with the name of the restaurant in dark red. In between two images of pizza pies were the letters S-E, followed by the number 7, followed by the letters T-E. How would you pronounce that? S-E, number 7, T-E. I blinked a few times as I looked at the sign, trying to decipher it like it was an Italian Rosetta Stone. S-E, the number 7, T-E. I tried a few combinations in my head and came up with nothing that made any sense. As we pulled up, half of our crew were already seated around the collection of tables, arranged Last Supper style in front of the building. The three of us joined the group, finding seats, and quickly realized it was going to be a pretty uncomfortable day for most of us. In addition to being an extremely warm, almost summer day, there was very little shade and it only covered a portion of one side of the table. As more members showed up, we attempted to move the tables fully into the shade, but it was a futile effort. The manager noticed our dilemma and came out to speak with us. He told us that we could come inside and take over the entire restaurant. We carried the menus, silverware, and napkins inside as some of the servers pushed the indoor tables into an extended U-shape. I sat next to Michael Cooper, a teacher and collector of vintage and black series figures who loves all things Star Wars. 
Mike and Mark Rusciano created Peg Warmers, a wickedly funny Muppet-style show dedicated to Star Wars and our hobby, and live-streamed broadcasts of it to our club during the pandemic. It was fun and irreverent and gave us an excuse to kick back and laugh together when the world was a little bleaker. As Mike looked at the menu, fellow collector Matthew Demick added commentary to the beginning of our lunch. David wonders how we're going to order pizza. This is the delicious part of the show. Can we get the frosted mini wheat pizza? What? It all looks good to me. Did you uh, pick anything up? The chef? As we sat around the U-shaped tables waiting for our food, I pulled myself away from conversations going on around me and just looked at each member of the club. I wanted to take a mental snapshot of this moment. It had been so long since we had been together, and after going through the pandemic, it was hard to believe we were finally sitting shoulder to shoulder again. A meal like this is also interesting. Most people grabbed a seat where they could, and while some of them were sitting with longtime friends, many found themselves next to members they may not have known as well prior to lunch. The friendships that come out of random seating like this is what makes these meetups so meaningful. Al was one of the last people to come into the restaurant, and he sat down at one of the ends of the table next to Hector Hilario and his college-aged daughter, Sam. Hector and Sam are a true team. And in addition to collecting Star Wars items together, they have a massive display in their family's collection room that houses a Lego replica of the path in Disney World's Magic Kingdom that stretches from Main Street to Cinderella's Castle. Sam and Hector are endless conduits of creativity and find fun and interesting ways to express it and share it. During lunch, Hector handed out swag. It was a postcard with a diorama he photographed of Star Wars action figures getting their vaccines. He pulled out his phone and showed me some recent photos he had taken of the family's Grogu doll from The Mandalorian, in different locations and in various poses. I think Hector works very hard to emulate the sense of wonder he felt in watching Star Wars and in attending the Disney parks, like he's continuing to keep that spark alive in his own way. And to see that same spirit in Sam is a great reminder of the importance of passing on that inspiration to the next generation. At one point, someone brought up the name of the restaurant. How do you pronounce it, they asked. I glanced up at the interior sign. Again, it read S-E, the number 7, T-E. 70, someone suggested. Say 70, another chimed in. Siete, a third answered. Someone farther down the table ran with that idea. Maybe it's an Italian word for seven. None of us knew what that word was, though. Even Sam, who had taken a class on the structure of the language, couldn't recall how to pronounce the number seven in Italian. So we googled it. Sette. The seven in the middle of the sign was supposed to represent the first T in the word, and was a play on the meaning of the word. I will never forget how to say seven in Italian, and I will always remember Sette as the restaurant of our first meetup after the season of the quarantine. Finally, our food arrived. We paused our current conversations to extend our arms and our open hands toward our server to receive the personal pizzas we ordered. 
I chose a margarita pizza cooked in a wood fire oven with fresh mozzarella and long wisps of basil and a bright red sauce. The crust was thin with little charring around the edges and on the top and bottom. Robin and FJ split a larger pie and a few other members did the same thing. The pizza was delicious, and I could see why Chris was so eager to return to Sete after eating there back in October for the fall Toy-Con show. Mike and I talked about the impact of the music of Star Wars, and the conversation soon transformed to a larger discussion on cryptocurrency, with Empire State co-founder Jason Thomas, Gordy Owen, Mark Rusciano, and Mike chiming in on what it is and what its future may be. Adam Marks handed out wax packs of his popular and inventive Garbage Shoot Droids cards. Garbage Shoot Droids is a Star Wars-themed take on the Garbage Pail Kids cards from the 1980s. In creating this new series, he's found a way to pay a respectful tribute to the cards many of us collected as children, and to appeal to collectors by offering special inserts like sketches, metal cards, limited editions, and artist autograph rarities. For this meetup, Adam crafted a special Empire State Club pack, which he kindly gave out to members. The cards were sealed in a wax pack that had the Garbage Shoot Droids logo in red against a yellow dome at the top, and the photo was a drawing of R5-D4 in a suit jacket and tie with a mushroom cloud shooting out of his head as an homage to Garbage Pail Kid's Atom Bomb character. Adam's work on the Garbage Shoot Droid series is another example of the type of creativity and passion that lies within the Empire State group. And the fact that Adam shared something he made with all of us was a tremendous gesture. For dessert, we ordered Nutella pies with strawberries and bananas as toppings. After eating my personal pizza, I was comfortably full and passed on a sugary slice. When we finished eating, we all chipped in to pay the bill and to leave a nice and deserved tip for our servers. And while everyone seemed to enjoy the Nutella pies, as they stood up to collect their belongings, a number of them admitted they had joyfully overeaten. We all stood around inside the restaurant for a little longer. A few of the members were not going back to the show, so we said our goodbyes to them. It was funny. Nobody really wanted to leave. Our conversation shuffled through the door and back outside, where we found ourselves perched on the sidewalk and in front of the outdoor tables we had abandoned for the comfort of air conditioning and indoor seating. As Robin pulled out of the parking lot, I buckled my seat and said a quick prayer that I'd live to see another day. We drove past the front of the restaurant. Half of the group remained, standing on the sidewalk and continuing their conversations. Two small collector circles had formed, and I watched as my friends stood next to one another, some gesturing wildly as those around them laughed, while others casually leaned against the outside tables with their hands in their pockets. I pulled out my phone and took two quick photos of my friends before our car sped up and the scene out my window devolved into a hyperspace-like blur of colors, lines, and shapes. As my friends predicted earlier, we had indeed spent three relaxing and joyful hours at lunch and arrived back at ToyCon NJ shortly before four o'clock. 
When we returned, I stopped by the Grading Company Collector Archive Services table to see Ross Barr and Anthony Spinnecke. When it comes to the hobby in our community over the past five or six years, Ross has served as an ambassador. He has been a torchbearer for the community and has done so with a genial nature and a sense of humor. And he has shown the utmost respect for those around him. Ross faced some incredibly tough moments during the past year, dealing with loss and with family. And yet, as we chatted, I was amazed at how strong he was and how he embraced life in such a positive way. Speaking with him at the show really connected us again, and it was nice to spend some quality time with him sharing our experiences, the highs and the lows, in the time since we last saw one another. And as many of us point to the meetup at his house in February of 2020 as the last official Empire State Club meetup before the pandemic began, ToyCon NJ was the continuation of those former meetups. Anthony is one of the nicest people in our community. He and I first chatted early Saturday morning, and our conversation was one that stayed with me the entire weekend. It wasn't anything profound or emotional. It was a simple dialogue between two passionate collectors about Star Wars figures and about life in general. But Anthony's passion for collecting is genuine and exciting. Like most collectors, Anthony is someone who appreciates the details that make something special or unique. But he also demonstrates that excitement in getting to know someone better as well. He showed me a piece that CAS had on display that day, one that belonged to him. It was a Return of the Jedi Jabba's Dungeon playset, and CAS had cased it in acrylic in a way I had never seen previously. It was a rather large display, as the box was included. But the figures, still sealed in their bags, were framed within the acrylic next to one another, and were surrounded by the contents of the playset. CAS has done some incredible work when it comes to custom acrylic displays and arrangement. The company works with its clients to deliver a product that showcases these rare and cherished Star Wars collectibles in unique and appealing designs. While I was speaking with Ross and Anthony, Joe Viteri stopped by at the CAS table to say hello. Joe is the owner of Viteri Productions and runs ToyCon NJ as well as the Comic Art Con, the Mall Collectibles Show, the Wayne Toy Show, and many other New Jersey collector events that occur throughout the year. Ross asked Joe how the turnout for the show had been so far, and Joe shook his head, still in shock, and said, Amazing. He confirmed my belief that the show's attendance was unprecedented, and the flow of new guests arriving continued well into the final hours of the show. Joe runs an incredible production with the ToyCon events, and he has worked to make each one better and more exciting than the last. I was talking to Ryan at his table when a few of the vendors around us began to cover their merchandise and their tables with sheets. They did this to protect their items and to preserve their displays until the morning. I looked around in shock. Was it really 5 o'clock already? Was it time for ToyCon NJ to close? A few of the attendees visited some of the nearby tables, hoping to make a last-minute deal before they shuffled out of the venue and headed home. I walked out with Ryan, Pete, and a few of the Empire State Club members who had stayed until the very end. 
I said goodbye to my friends, knowing I would see many of them again in a few weeks at our next meetup in Syracuse, New York. It felt good to know that there was a next event. When we said farewell to one another at the October Toy Con, we had no idea when we would be together next. That when we said, I'll see you soon, soon meant eight months later, at the same venue during a late May weekend. I hugged each one, laughed with them one more time, and then waving to them, watched them pull out of the parking lot and begin the drive home. I climbed into my car and lowered the windows, listening for the same beautiful sounds I had heard the night before in the parking lot. The birds were still chirping, and the field in front of me buzzed with the sound of nighttime insects. I lowered my head again and I closed my eyes, in the cool of the night and in the quiet of my car. And I gave thanks to the Lord for making this day so immensely special, and for giving all of us a chance to be together again. I prayed for those who would set up again on Sunday and for the return attendees and the ones who would be coming to Wayne, New Jersey for the first time that spring. I prayed for each of my friends and again thanked the Lord for bringing each one into my life. I prayed that in some way I would be a light to those around me and that we would have many more opportunities to come together over the next year. And finally, I asked God to be with everyone who had been there that weekend and to keep everyone healthy and safe. I kept the windows down and set my GPS for my address. The 1997 song Barely Breathing by Duncan Sheik hummed through the speakers, and as I reached to change the station, I paused. I looked up in front of me as I drove down the road leading to the Garden State Parkway and the sinking sun turned the sky and the tips of the surrounding trees a reddish pink. It was a fiery, majestic sight. The bass and jangly guitars of the chorus stood out to me in a way that I hadn't noticed previously, and at once I felt fresh and alive, and yet blanketed in the warmth of nostalgia. I felt different, like my physiology had changed. I felt rejuvenated, as if I had been lost and wandering for a little while. I think we've all felt like that this year. And then finding the main road again, and traveling it with a few of my closest friends. And of course, stopping for pizza along the way. I felt younger, lighter, happier. Recharged and electric. That's the effect we have on one another, and I think we often forget how powerful that is. How much we truly need each other, and what these toy trips and three-hour meals and excuses to be together really mean. I've been obsessed with nachos for the last year, ordering them for lunch or dinner when I'd get a craving for them. I didn't realize it until now, but nachos as a meal has served as a treat for myself during the quarantine. Although I had an hour and a half drive home, I decided to stop at a local restaurant near my house and celebrate the Toy-Con weekend with a plate of nachos. As I picked through the melted cheese, diced tomatoes and cilantro, guacamole, black beans, pickled jalapenos, rice and ground beef, I stared out the window and watched the lights around the nearby stores flicker as cars drove by. The sky wasn't that ink-black color just yet. 
It was a swirl of various shades of dark blue, with areas of the western edge still a whitish teal. As I finished my nachos, I reflected on the events of the day. I was returning home with new prototypes, new original art, a few vintage accessories, and new memories of funny moments and time well spent with dear friends. The show far exceeded what I had anticipated, and even then I had some lofty expectations that would have been hard to hit, just from the sheer number of months waiting for this particular weekend to arrive. But everything changes when you're finally in the same room with your friends again. It's a feeling that is hard to express in words, but it's simply better than you could have imagined it to ever be. This weekend was not just the first show and meetup many of us attended in almost a year. It was a starting point on the timeline to a new season, a season of many more meetups and shows, of planning trips together to different states and to different regions of the country of meals and of moments that add to the fullness and joy that comes with living and actively pursuing what makes life so meaningful and so special. And we get to do that together, arm in arm, and following the path to the next adventure. What a night to be alive. This was the weekend of Toy-Con NJ. And this is Star Wars. Prototypes and production. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Star Wars Prototypes and Production Podcast. If you enjoy these episodes and stories, please subscribe or follow the show on your preferred podcast platform. It's free to do so, and this way you'll know as soon as the next episode drops. And if you like the podcast, please share it with a friend, and please leave a review. The ones many of you have left so far have touched my heart and I truly appreciate the time and thought you put into writing them. These reviews not only help to give listeners an idea of what the podcast is like, but it also serves as a good indicator as to whether it would be worth their time as well. And on top of that, it also helps algorithm-based platforms to recommend prototypes in production to people interested in finding new audio shows. I'm approaching a small milestone with the next episode. Number 50. What will be the topic? Probably something Star Wars related. Thanks for being a part of the journey with me thus far. It's been fun exploring Star Wars and collecting for the first half of the year. Let's see where the second half takes us. Remember, you have the power and the gift to make the lives of those around you a little brighter. Use your talents and abilities to make these adventures personal and special and your reward will be friendships and memories that will last a lifetime. I'll meet you back here for episode 50. Until then, keep reading, researching, and learning. There's so much out there waiting to be discovered.